Good morning. I am Jan Fran and welcome to The Briefing, the podcast that gets you up to speed every morning with the news that you need to know. It is Tuesday, the 30th of June. Annika Smethurst is with me. Good morning, Annika. Good to be with you. You've got us this morning, Annika and I, or Janika, as I like <laughs> to call us. There you go. Today on The Briefing, you and Tom are taking a deep dive into the stock market. Absolutely. So thousands of Australians have decided to use this pandemic to actually have a little gamble in the stock market. I'm told not use the word gamble or play. Apparently it's very serious business. I'm not one of them, but look, it did pique my interest. So if it's piqued my interest, somebody that usually turns off during that part of the news, then there must be a lot of people out there who have actually either had some success or not. So we do talk to one of them today and we're going to find out a little bit more about the do's and don'ts when investing. You should absolutely invest. Best, but investing should be boring. And I hate to say that, but if it's exciting, if it's if it's fun, if it's if it gives you adrenaline, you are not doing it right. Okay, there you go. Before we get to that story though, here's the stories you need to know this morning. We are starting in Victoria today, and look, unfortunately, it is not good news. Today we have 75 uh, new cases of coronavirus in Victoria. Uh, obviously, we're concerned by the increasing number and the upward trend. That was the state's health minister, Jenny McCarkos, there announcing what is the biggest daily increase since way back in April. Now, around a third of these recent cases in Victoria are coming from people aged 18 to 30. We're seeing more young people getting together with their mates, contracting this virus and then taking it home to their families. Bit alarming there, but as for whether we'll keep seeing these big numbers... Clearly big numbers today, absolutely concerning. I think it'll get worse before it gets better. That's even worse news there. That was Victoria's Chief Health Officer, Brett Sutton. It's also forced the AFL to rejig this week's round with Richmond's trip to Queensland now a no-go. This is just a different year. We're in a situation that is unprecedented in, you know, in a century and we're going okay. That was AFL CEO Gil McLaughlin there staying positive, I think, as much as possible in front of the cameras. I think you just need to be agile in these uh, somewhat dark and uncertain times. It's interesting that a news poll was out, this is a poll that was conducted for the Australian uh, last week actually, that showed that Dan Andrews or support for Dan Andrews has dropped just given the recent coronavirus cases in Victoria. Uh, this is compared to other premiers whose constituents thought that they handled the coronavirus well. So there is a bit of uncertainty there in Victoria. I think that tends to lead to a little bit of questioning of leaders. But it is important, I think, to note that Victoria had one of the st- most stringent lockdowns as well. So, you know, the the fact that this outbreak has has sort of happened is, um, you know, it's interesting. A little bit tough there for Dan. As you say, they had these really strict lockdowns and everybody was sort of criticising him, I guess, for going too hard. But it appears that perhaps he didn't go hard enough. So, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But look, usually times like this, people consolidate around a leader. They get behind their leader no matter which party it is. And we are seeing that actually across Australia, that constituents are quite quite happy with who's ever in control because they just want, I guess, that certainty of their Premier staying in position. Well, look, Tassie and WA, your Premier's very high approval ratings there. Two weeks ago, Aussie government and businesses were hit by a cyber attack. Australian organisations are currently being targeted by a sophisticated state-based cyber actor. This activity is targeting Australian organisations across a range of sectors, including all levels of government. 
And today the Prime Minister is set to announce $1.35 billion towards the new cyber army. Yeah, so this will mean 500 newly minted specialists that will join the Defence and Warfare Program. This is over the next decade. Now, the program is going to try and proactively disrupt would-be hackers before they launch an attack. What do you know about the last cyber attack that was launched in Australia, Annika? Now, this was the attack that the government were refusing to say who was behind it, but Mm. most people in that sort of community in the security sector did point the finger at China. What they were doing, we think, according to experts, were they were coming in and having a look at where our infrastructure was, say, or how things were working. I asked if this was sort of an active war, I guess, and the new world we live in. And I was told, no, no, it's sub-war, but it just gives them a chance to come in, snoop around. Maybe it was trade secrets they were looking for. They don't necessarily take anything. It's quite funny in the cyber world. You know, you can just go in. Maybe you don't even know they came in. But look, we did pick up on a lot of it. And the reason the government came out so strongly was they wanted China or whoever was behind it to know that we know, and they couldn't just come in and have a snoop and leave. Right. And do you think now that having 500 uh, extra personnel, and this is over a decade as well, is that likely to deter anyone wanting to hack into Australia? Is that likely to do anything? Look, I'm no cyber expert, but I did ask someone this very question. I said, you know, what sort of country are we aiming to be? Who does it perfectly? Who's got really good cyber security? Mm. And the answer was nobody. Oh, nobody good. Nobody <laughs> does this well. So, you know, more people surely is going to help at the ASD. They are our creme de la creme of cyber hackers. But at the same time, they're just, it's such a growing, expansive space that mm. just keeping up with the number of attacks is huge. And it seems like there are some jobs out there, but Australians are not applying for them. So new data from the new National Skills Commission has shown that more than half of employers are struggling to fill positions and they say that the number one problem is that they're just not getting enough applicants. We can't allow the job seeker payment to become an impediment to people out mm. doing work. And we are getting a lot of anecdotal feedback from small businesses and even large businesses where some of them are finding it hard to get people to come and take the shifts because they're on these up, these higher levels of payment. Now, 1.63 million Aussies are on the $1,100 a fortnight job seeker payment. Um, that is double the number in February. Uh, the government does want to wind back the job seeker and job keeper payment. So I do wonder, Annika, is this sort of carte blanche for the government to do just that? Look, I suggest it's them buttering us up. These payments were always due to end in September and in some ways the pain hasn't been quite as bad as we perhaps first thought. And the problem with when you're a government and you hand out money is it's easy to hand out money and no matter what it is, it's really, really hard to wind it back. People get used to it, people want it and they want to say, well, why can't we keep getting it? And I think there will be a bit of resistance to that. So I think this is a way to perhaps start warming us up to the idea that these payments aren't going to be there after September. And do we know where the jobs are? This article suggests that, you know, it has some anecdotal evidence of some jobs in the city. One of them is in retail, paying about $500 a week or as a barista and they can't get work. Other areas, but childcare or receptionists. But I've spoken to a number of MPs and it does seem to be, I guess, more heightened in country areas, whether that be farmers trying to get people to come pick fruit. And look, we do know that they usually rely on backpackers and of course those numbers are down too. Mm. But there is does seem to be some difficulty in attracting people to areas where perhaps there are still jobs. Yeah, I wonder if people are just being cautious because we're still not sure whether or not 
a second wave will hit. Yeah, there's got to be an element of that too, just the difficulty getting around, people not wanting to, you know, move towns to get a new job because maybe they can't rent a house. So look, there are a number of factors at play, but no doubt this is an issue for some employers out there, just not being able to attract people and entice people into those jobs. All right, I'm out of here. You and Tom are sticking around. Thanks, Jan. Yeah, up next, Tom and I take a deep dive on the stock market. For first-time investors, we'll find out what can go wrong and how to avoid the same mistakes that appears a lot of people are making during the pandemic. But don't worry, there is also tips on perhaps how to fix that and maybe you'll have a win coming out of this. Okay, so this is one of those briefing topics that could save you a lot of money and heartbreak. The COVID crisis has created some wild scenes on the stock market and for people that couldn't bet on sport anymore, the stock market became a very enticing option. Breaking news, concerns over the coronavirus outbreak and once again they are affecting the stock market. Chaos on our financial market. The ASX is down 7.4%, $137 billion. About $50 billion. A violent sell-off of Aussie shares. Economic prospects look better than expected. The markets gained nearly 5% in two days. For the first time in months, the Australian share market has staged an incredible recovery. Lifting now for a third straight session. We've seen a reopening of the economy. So as you can hear there, at first there was absolute carnage on the stock markets as the pandemic kicked in. Overall, the Australian market, the ASX 200, came off 36% from its pre-pandemic peak which for young people who'd been waiting to get into an expensive-looking market, it looked like the moment to finally get in, Annika. And that moment did come. Once the market bottomed, some big returns started flooding in. If you bought into the ASX 200 biggest companies at the bottom, you'd now be up over 30%, Tom. Yeah, pretty enticing. So a lot of people did get involved. The National Australia Bank's online trading platform saw triple the number of people signing up in the last three months. And that's mirrored what's happened in the US as well, where, for example, a popular trading app called Robin Hood saw a record 3 million people signing up earlier this year. But that company has now been drawn into a tragic controversy where a 20-year-old client called Alex Kearns took his own life citing a $730,000 loss on his Robin Hood account. Here is his relative, Bill Brewster, talking about it. I'm the one that had to tell a six and a four-year-old that they had to leave vacation because one of their family members had just died. And I'm the one that has to answer the questions about how he died and why he died and what death is. Meanwhile, I see an article about how Robinhood's app has gamified investing, how the founders are proud of their design features. Well, here's a thought. How about you design a program that doesn't make a kid think he owes $730,000 when he doesn't? Yeah, it was a very tragic and sobering story. Turns out they weren't actual losses he'd been trading in options. We're going to find out more about that story in a moment and and what can go wrong with investing in the stock market and how you can avoid the same tragic mistakes. Jack Ball is a first-time Aussie share trader. He'd never invested before and he and his wife jumped in in May when the market was bouncing back and looking really good. But somehow they're down 15% already. So Jack, thanks for joining us. You got in in May, you'd you'd waited for some time because I imagine you saw a lot of people making loads of money as the market came off the bottom in March and started bouncing back quite quickly. What happened? How did you lose money and was that a big surprise for you? Uh, Yeah, I think it was a little bit of a surprise. 
We lost because, well, it, you know, it depends. Yeah, we haven't sold out or anything yet. Mm. I think it's just making us look at the strategy that we're employing. And um, the biggest learning curve for myself, who's who's led this conversation with my wife and what we're doing is that, you know, we, we wanted to sort of do it ourselves and um, had the, you know, options to go to a professional, seek, you know, more professional advice and what I could um, conjure up myself. And that's probably <laughs> been one of those things that could have paid for itself by now. Uh, it keeps us focused on the original reason why we did get into shares and, and seeing what we're hoping and, and thinking is, is a long-term opportunity. So it's definitely, you know, a wobbly start and, and something that makes us question a couple of things. So Jack, what is your strategy? You know, you say this is the first time you've decided to get in, you got your wife on board. What's the theory to make money? What, how are you going to do it? Our strategy at the moment is to continue to invest small amounts every couple of weeks in, um, and so we're, we're investing about $500 every month at the moment. Um, and I think, you know, the next learning curve for us is, you know, where that money's going, whether it should be a new stock or whether we should be looking at other options because even though the last six or eight weeks, what we've done hasn't worked out on paper so far. It's just also not the finishing line yeah. we were aiming at, e- at either. Okay, so what stocks did you buy and how did they go? Um, so I bought into Novanix a couple of weeks ago, which is a, a battery company in Australia. Um, and there's a lot of circulation and, and chats about whether Tesla was going to buy into them or was interested in the stocks. Mm. Um, we've bought into Zip, the payment company, and then also into uh, Southern Cross. Right, okay. And so with Zip, that's been a very interesting story. It got hit hard when the market bottomed out, but it's bounced back massively after a, a deal with MasterCard. So have you made money on that one? Yeah, that's sort of holding up the the whole portfolio at the moment, but it's not. It's you know, I also didn't buy it, you know, at a two dollar or a three dollar, which some people have. So, I think the biggest learning for us so far is you know where I get my information from on a lot of uh, discussion boards and threads is classified or classes like the dumb money. Isn't it funny, Jack? Because you actually did a bit of study before you got into this, so you learnt some of the basic principles of investing. But somehow you've actually gone against them. You decided not to get professional advice. You've been getting your information from chats and discussion forums online. You kind of knew that wasn't the right thing to do, didn't you? You understood that just following gains that have already happened like Zip wasn't the right thing to do. But something about the intensity of the market draws you in. It's exactly like that. And that's probably my biggest learning curve so far is what we engaged in initially and has been that day traders view and going, let's get in. And you look at it and go, oh, we're up 20%. Should we sell? Should we not sell? And none of that should be part of our strategy. And, you know, it's not dissimilar to Lotto. You know, people know the odds of Lotto and will still buy a ticket. So there is that dream for a big short-term return on money, even though that shouldn't and isn't our strategy. That was Jack there, who's learned so many lessons in a very short space of time. Definitely stay out of those uh, finance chat forums online. Um, That was a common problem in America as well. So let's get some expert advice about what we can actually do during this time. Scott Phillips is Chief Investment Officer for Motley Fool, a share market advisory service. Scott, Jack's story had some lessons, but the death of Alex Kearns in the US is a truly devastating one. What do you make of his story? Yeah, it's awful, isn't it? I mean, we, are, we only know a bit of what's been reported in the media. I don't know how much of that is absolute fact, so we need to be a little bit careful about what we assume. But this is the absolute you know, worst case of what can happen. If you take leverage products, in other words, using debt in different forms, they can be literally 
borrowing money like margin loans. It can be using options. Some brokers, luckily, again, not many here in Australia. I don't think any, actually. But some brokers will, will effectively give you a line of credit and let you trade it. And that, again, gets worse. People throw good money after bad. It's the old gambler's problem, right? We hear it so regularly. And unfortunately, the access to the stock market is another form of gambling for some people, and it really has ended up with terrible, terrible consequences for this poor guy. Yeah, and it seems that smartphone apps have sort of changed the game a bit as well. You know, some people would have used um, smartphone apps to gamble on sports, and sports weren't happening. And and you can sort of get a, a addicted on your, on your smartphone. You've got this app, and you can watch the market go up and down, and it can be very exciting when, you, when you're making money. Do you think the, the apps, in a way, encourage behavior that doesn't necessarily fit with good investment principles? Yeah, I really do. I think this is the real problem is, you know, it's fine to play a game on your phone. It's fine to, you know, download and play whatever iPhone or smartphone game you want to play. But when you start treating your investments and your wealth like that, again, some people do really, really well, right? I'm not saying people shouldn't be able to access this stuff, but it can get really ugly really fast. If you don't know what you're doing, you get carried away. So, Scott, if you're a player out there and you've got a bit of cash, I know there's a recession going on, but mm. you want to do something with it, and there obviously is opportunities during times like this, yep. what would you be your sort of guiding principles for somebody that wants to perhaps have a little bit of a play in the stock market but not have those major losses you're talking about? If, the, if you're using the word play, don't do it. Seriously, it's just it's not worth it, right? And it's funny, you know, people Lesson will say, if you, well, yeah, if you lose 100 bucks depending on the dogs, you're a gambler. If you lose a thousand bucks on the stock round, oh, I'm just having a play. I'm just having a go. We, we we somehow in our brains we get those numbers. It's so easily conflated, right? It's easy to, easy to put a thousand or a couple thousand dollars and have a play or a punt. It's like you wouldn't do that on the dogs or the trots or the the horses. How about don't do it on the stock market? So that being said, you should absolutely invest. But investing should be boring, and I hate to say that, but if it's exciting, if it's if it's fun, if it's if it gives you adrenaline, you are not doing it right. In the stuff I read around, um, you know, investment, there seems to be a two ways of looking at it, investing or trading. And some of the advice that I saw going out when things were really hitting the fan a few months ago were, don't be a trader, think more like an investor. And the, the difference is that a trader is sort of looking at the graphs and, and what's moving in the short term, but a, an investor is really looking at the underlying business model of a company that you're investing in. And that is a smarter way to do things in the long term. You've absolutely nailed it. <laughs> That's exactly the story. Look, I mean, a small number of people can try and trade short-term movements in the market. I think the market's going up 1% today. I'll buy it this morning, sell it this afternoon. The vast majority of us need to take a different perspective, which is to be a long-term investor. As you've rightly said, there is no – everyone wants a quick win. Everyone wants to make money now. I, I absolutely understand the impulse. I really, really get it, right? And there's nothing worse than when you're losing money, you feel like, I should do something about that. I'll, I'll sell now and I'll buy back later or I'll buy now and sell back later. Whatever it is, the urge to just do something, it's that, that really basic mm. human urge of sitting around and watching. It's just, you know, we, we tap our toes, we kind of fiddle with our thumbs and we think, oh, okay, I'll go and do it. As you say, invest small amounts regularly, put aside a couple of bucks from your paycheck, as much as you can afford every every fortnight or week or month, and put that money into a, into a market and just leave it alone. That is honestly the very, very best way to build long-term wealth. One of the worst things about our education system is that a lot of people don't know this. They come out of school knowing things they may never use, but this is really practical advice. So what would you say to young people out there that might want to start getting bit more interested in the stock market but don't know where to start where do you get the information the problem with investing is there's no there's no simple clear easy way so i've written an article called a letter to a new investor and i'm not giving myself a plug but just because you asked the question um, <laughs> a letter to a new investor if you google that it's on the motley Fool website it's got five books listed there which is just a great way to start. honestly if you want to get started don't do anything yet you know i'm supposed to say go and trade and you know join this and join that don't do any of that just start reading right understand what it is you might be getting into 
and then slowly and surely put some money into that to actually start building up that wealth. And if you're going to make mistakes, do it with small amounts of money early rather than large amounts of money later. Again, I feel like boring Uncle Scott, but long-term investing is slow, boring, regular contributions into quality assets, quality companies, quality index funds, and just let them do their thing. And so if you if you get into it knowing what you're doing, that's the very best thing you can do. Getting in before you know and then hoping you'll learn on the on the way when you're losing <laughs> you know thousands of bucks, it's a really, really dumb way to start. So um, yeah, read understand, know what it is, and then slowly dip your toe in and build up slowly from there. That was Scott Phillips, Chief Investment Officer of Motley Fool. He also hosts a great podcast. You should check it out. It's called the Motley Fool Money Podcast. Now, Tom, I know you've been getting amongst it, getting (laughs) some money into the share market over the COVID pandemic. What's your experience been like? Well, I have an addiction now to my trading app. <laughs> I can't pick up my phone without checking it out during the, the day. So at 10 o'clock today, I'll be on it, no doubt. And it's probably going to be, who knows. Um, but So not doing what Scott Phillips is saying there, not looking <laughs> long-term, Tom. No, I've been making fairly sensible decisions. I did a, a commerce degree and I used to work in the sector. So I have um, some basic investment principles. Um, I did make one mistake along the way where I lost some money, but since then I've just made big serious bets. I also enlisted the help of a professional, a stockbroker, and so I'm making purchases that I expect to hang on to for at least a year. So big safe bets like Westpac, um, Macquarie Bank, um, a few others. That sounds like the way to go. And also you get that tax break too. Exactly. All right. Really interesting show today. If you're experiencing a personal crisis, um, you can call Lifeline. They can even help with financial situations, put you in touch with the right people. The number is 13 11 14. Annika, catch you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.